we took on a project where we developed what we call a pick assist or a harvesting aid, mushroom aid. So basically what it does, it scans the bed, it uses AI to basically uh, map out the bed, understand the growth trajectory, the yield, and then uh, it uses uh, LEDs to tell the pickers which ones to pick now and because it will decide some of them need to be picked later. So that was a stepping stone and that was the approach that we took. That kind of stepping stone is still going for the full automated picker, as an example. Hello and welcome to another episode of Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and in this episode, I chat with Hassam Haroun, Director of Automation at Vineland Research and Innovation Centre. According to Hassam, the center's main goal is to use modern technology, things like robotics, like vision systems and AI and machine learning, etc., to reduce the costs of labor in horticulture and agriculture. They do this by helping industry research and learn about new technologies that are quickly becoming available to them. Now, Vineland first caught our attention when we were compiling our list of ecosystem partners on our website. Now, side note, if you manufacture in Ontario and you haven't checked it out, check it out. There's a whole universe of assistance available to you from governments, from NGOs, and from academic institutions to help you in almost every aspect of your manufacturing operations. But for now, back to Vineland. While editing this episode, I was reminded of another episode from some months back with our friends at NORCAD. But Nick, what does mining have to do with horticulture and agriculture? Well, in my opinion, a fair bit. See, both sectors, historically, have been very analog, low-tech sectors. Both are struggling to find labor and both are looking to advance technology to close gaps in productivity. And both organizations are in the business of bringing new technology to their respective sectors to do that. See, as I came to understand, it's not that there's a lack of technology available to farmers and growers. What's missing is a clear path to a return on investment of the new technology. If one wanted to, we could today build a robot to expertly pick an apple from a tree. The problem is that each apple picked by this agrobot, see what I did there, would likely cost thousands of dollars. And that's one expensive apple pie. The fact is, there are many other areas of agriculture that would benefit from technology other than just picking. Navigating the path of modernization is a challenge for every business owner, for every company, and for every industry. We've discussed these challenges at length on this podcast which is why we were interested in chatting with Vineland and Hassam. They've developed what they call roadmaps for technology adoption, which includes stepping stones along the way. It requires manufacturers to understand where they are and where they want to go. What is your current output and what would you like it to be? We've included two examples in our blog post, one from the Ontario Processing Vegetable Growers and the other for Berry Growers. It's an interesting read and I encourage you to check it out. The other challenge, of course, is knowing what technology is available to you. Sure, you could invest in the multi-million dollar cyborg that picks thousand dollar apples, or you could invest in recently developed technology for improving crop yields using AI and machine learning. In this episode, Hassan discusses Vineland's participation in an automation cluster with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, and how they developed the stepping stones for mushroom harvesting. Check the timestamp and have a listen to how they did it, and learn for yourself how we can use this tech to keep on growing it. Ontario. And there we go. We are live again. We are in Vineland, Ontario. And you're going to be hearing our chairs in this conversation because it's a podcast and it's live and it's gritty. We are here speaking with one of our old MEPs. And uh, 
Hassan, why don't you introduce yourself before I start rambling too much? Thank you, Nick. I uh, really appreciate it. So welcome. Welcome to Vineland, first of all. My name is Hussam Harun. I'm the director of the automation program at Vineland. My responsibility is really to build uh, the program's reputation and uh, the opportunities for the program uh, across the horticulture industry. The mandate of the program as part of Vineland is to basically use automation or robotics, AI, vision technologies to basically reduce the cost of labor in horticulture. My team consists of scientists, engineers uh, with capabilities in robotics, uh, mechatronics, artificial intelligence, AI, machine learning, really cool stuff. Well, I am looking forward to this conversation. So before I came down here, as you'll recall, I, th- there was a specific article that kind of piqued my interest that you were quoted in. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that article, where it was? Um, I think it just probably sounds better coming from you than from me. No, I appreciate it. Actually, I have it open right in front of me. So basically, this article was in greenhousemag.com. It was really around the time where, uh, around the time where COVID uh, was sort of, uh, you know, we're going through the lockdowns, about midway through the lockdowns, right? And there was a lot of discussion around what's happening in the industry, especially in horticulture or in agriculture in general. So I don't know if you saw in the news, there was a lot of crops being wasted because they couldn't be harvested. The industry generally, especially in North America and even around the world, had a, a problem for a long-standing problem of there are not in, enough laborers to come in and help with farm workers, come and help with harvesting. And the new generation of farmers, they're not into harvesting or picking crops anymore. So uh, what happened is that when COVID hit and a lot of lockdowns and everybody was sort of in lockdown, a lot of crop was wasted. They couldn't harvest it. They couldn't pick it. They couldn't distribute it. There was a, there was a lack of labor. So what the government of Ontario was looking at, they wanted us to look at technology and automation in different sectors specifically on how to deal with something like this in the future, but also near term. How do, can we help growers and farmers to basically look at solutions using technology to automate. So when I was asked to come and speak, there was a few questions that were raised around over the last two years, COVID was, was, uh, was happening. What was the experience that we've been through and in terms of how automation came into uh, the picture? And there was questions around um, what are you doing to help? So what we did is we partnered with the Ontario government, the, some of those grower associations, to basically create roadmaps. And what these roadmaps did is basically uh, look at the short-term opportunities, but also look at what's out there today that these growers can tap into, but through consultation of those stakeholders. So we didn't just go by ourselves and do a market scan. We asked them, where are your challenges? Where are you facing the problems? We did uh, surveys, interviews with key stakeholders, and we went back and basically looked at what technologies exist today, what long-term strategies they can look at, what are the costs, what's their appetite to those deployments, how they can in- implement them and deploy them. And we did that for a couple of grower associations. And they were quite popular, basically, to be honest with you. So are you aware of how similar your challenges are in horticulture and agriculture to the rest of the advanced manufacturing ecosystem? I think it's a it's a common uh, uh, challenge in in most industries as as industries are evolving towards like you said more advanced manufacturing right um, if you look at any industry where there's automotive 
uh, or any other industry that's starting to look at technology to optimize operations. I mean, I'm sure you've heard the saying of, we won't always want to do more with less because there's less resources in the world. And that principle, sometimes people see it as a negative thing because they're like, oh, maybe we're looking at phasing out jobs or changing how we do things more effectively. But in reality, and I'll go to the global food challenge, the world population of the world is going to be 15 billion in the next couple of decades. How are we going to feed all these people? So uh, we can't expect that uh, using legacy approaches to grow food and, and with climate change to be able to produce the same amount of food. And it goes back to urban growing and vertical farming and different ways. So yes, um, automotive as an example, when more cars were being sold and the cost of cars was coming down. Uh, they need to produce more cars. So they had to look at different ways to produce more cars. So, yes, it's, it's a parallel challenge, and you're seeing it in a lot of those mass-producing industries. So when we first started our chat, you mentioned that uh, the, the, there was that discussion of new technology has the perception of being seen as replacing jobs. I've heard a lot of people shed some light on how that isn't the case. That, that, that's not what you're talking about. You're not talking about just replacing people with robots, are you? No. So uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to clarify that. So if you look at today the industries, especially if you look at agriculture, a lot of the farming agriculture industry, especially the, the workers that we have today, are starting to look at different ways of doing things, and they're looking at optimizing their farms. So the ability to be able to harvest and to do a lot of these tasks and to be able to produce more food, you, you need help. Now, the challenge is you can't find the help in people. And a lot of the new generations of, uh, of people are actually not interested anymore in farming like it used to be. Not a lot of people want to become pickers or, or do crop management by hand. A lot of people are getting into technology. Technology is becoming, you know, using your phone to, uh, to basically deal, to collect uh, tasks inside the greenhouse or inside the farm. Now it's becoming prominent. So what that allows technology to do is to be able to use these technologies to help you optimize your operations. So it's, it's not replacing any jobs or ta replacing workers. It's actually making the task more efficient, helping them do more uh, with the technology that, that we have today. I wish more people understood that because there, there can be a very negative association with new technology because there is that, that, that sense of, oh, they're, they're coming for our jobs. When in actual fact, at least it's, it's certainly in other industries, and now from what I'm hearing in agriculture and horticulture as well, it's about augmenting and improving the performance. So when I was a kid, I, was, uh, I shared with you that uh, I, I, was, I spent a lot of time in St. Catharines, which is just a stone's throw from here. And I remember as a child, I would go strawberry picking with my mother. I was, you know, single digits, very young. In the fields, you know, here's your basket, fill it up, and there you go. That is my very limited knowledge about, you know, picking fruit off a vine. So using that example, if, so let's start from there, just so for, for my education. Let's say, so there's the process of young Nick with his mother picking strawberries to make jam which she hasn't done in a while, actually. I should probably remind her about that. What, let's say that process right there. Is there, so now let's, now let's go into the tech. What technology, if any, is there anything that would have like automated that process? So now my mother and I would no longer have to go into the fields to pick those strawberries. That's a good question, Nick. I mean, if you look at where automation is in agriculture, horticulture, there's a lot of things that exist today in different parts of the sector. 
you use the example of basically going and picking. That's actually a very difficult task. Technology today, automation, robotics, hasn't yet been able to duplicate or imitate the human capability to go and do the way we pick and we grab the fruit and we remove the fruit and identify the fruit from uh, from the rest of the crop and from the leaves and everything. Technology is not there yet. But there is other areas where technology has been very helpful. Uh, so if you look at automation specifically, uh, something we call the post-harvesting, you know, things around sorting and packaging, that, that space is automated. It's been automated for a while, post-harvesting or, you know, packaging as well. That, that's what we call it. Now, specifically around the areas of what well, you just mentioned with the example of harvesting, if you look at that area and crop management, there's a lot more complexity. What the human can do, and if you just take the example of the eyes, being able to see, identify, you're picking a strawberry from the rest of the branch. If you look at that, the whole idea of the vision, the cameras that we have today, the most sophisticated cameras, and doing that at a, at a return on investment that can make sense for a grower to implement this kind of technology is still challenging. There's still a lot of research to be, uh, to be done. There is technology out there that can probably see some of these things better than others and maybe do some analysis and data collection, but still to be able to do that, sync it with an actual, what we call a gripper. So a comparison to the hand and to be able to grab that fruit, that complexity is still a bit, uh, a couple of years away from being quite available at a return at a cost that the grower can uh, uh, fit within their return on investment. Interesting. Okay, so that's where they can't replace people. You still haven't been able to replace the intelligence and dexterity of an eight-year-old child's human hand. That's correct. Dexterity is, is key. And, and you're talking about if you're able to do it some sort of uh, grip or technology to implement to duplicate that dexterity, if, even if you can, you're talking about uh, sort of space uh, technology that's very expensive, that uh, it just won't make the business case at this stage. So it's not that it's not possible. It's there's no business case. for the, oh, OK. Yeah, the business case is, is challenging to, to, to be able to return that investment. Again, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the example of just the dexterity, but there's other areas where, you know, the the human being, the ability for a human to be able to, for example, look at the different areas in the fruit to see that it's ripe. You're, you want the camera, you want the rob- or the automation solution to be able to do the same thing. Take that fruit, turn it around, or, and do it at a speed. So there's a lot more in, into it, not just the technology, but also the operation approach. So w- what we think here is we think that there's going to be an overlap. There's going to be a, where, a time where technology and the operations of how things are being done and the involvement has to happen at the same time uh, before it can be fully what we call autonomous, self-sufficient. It's, uh, that's uh, a long way from now, probably. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the stuff that we can do that you have done with some of your members, some of your some of the group. Let's talk about some of those success stories. So let's talk about you know the stepping stones. We call them stepping stones. How do we get there, right? Nice, yeah. So um, over the last uh, about let's say five years, Vineland had uh, what we call the automation cluster in collaboration with uh, Agriculture Agrifoods Canada, so the federal government, and that program uh, was initially based on three key projects. One of the projects had to deal with mushroom harvesting. So mushroom harvesting, if you go to a mushroom farm, it's, it's a quite a tedious task, being able to pick the right mushrooms and make space for the mushrooms that are they're still growing in that bed so they can grow properly and you can harvest them in the next couple of days. So that whole process is quite tedious. 
And even if they can find people to do the job, it's, it's quite a difficult task. There's a lot of training and expertise required within it. So there's the labor challenge, there's the expertise challenge. So what we decided to do a few years back is that instead of trying to focus on completely just automating the whole picking challenge, which is also, you know, the business case has to be looked at, we said, okay, there's, there's an opportunity to actually have an, uh, a solution that maybe deals with the expertise. So now you don't have to look for expert pickers, which you can find, but also the training process of trying to retain the pickers. So we took on a project where we developed what we call a pick assist or a harvesting aid, mushroom aid. So basically what it does, it scans the bed, it uses AI to basically uh, map out the bed, understand the growth trajectory, the yield, and then it uh, it uses uh, LEDs to tell the pickers which ones to pick now and because it will decide some of them need to be picked later. So that was a stepping stone, and that was the approach that we took, that kind of stepping stone instead of going for the full automated picker, as an example. So that project now is in, um, we were in the last stage of commercializing it with a partner that has had quite some uh, progress because Violent, uh, I don't know if you know about Violent, but we don't actually commercialize technology. We don't take it to market. Sorry, we don't take technology directly to the market. So what we do is we look for collaboration for commercialization partners to work with us to take our research in partnership with them, the stuff that they came to, uh, to us to help them with, to market. So that project is now in the final stages of commercialization. Another project that we've been working with, and uh, we did a, a, a sort of a talk in 2020 at a Canadian Greenhouse Conference, is, uh, to, uh, it's called the Smart Irrigation Platform. So basically that deals with, uh, it's a platform, it's an artificial intelligence-based platform that uh, what it does is imitates grower irrigation uh, procedures. So what it will do is it will learn you as a grower, how do you irrigate? So it will take the, the approach that you do and then it will just repeat what you did and do it on your behalf. So it's automated irrigation based on your behavior. If you don't teach it well, it will repeat the exact way that you do it. So um, you need to sometimes teach it more, more often. So these stepping stones, what we found them as uh, uh, have opportunities to basically help growers in a stepping way instead of fully taking over some of the automation uh, stages. Now, um, one of the last projects as part of that cluster is around um, basically vegetable harvesting. And that is the biggest opportunity, but also the biggest challenge. So uh, for that one, uh, we've been looking at how do you harvest cucumbers? Uh, we've we've hit some really important uh, milestones for that project to be able to identify the cucumber and to be able to grab the cucumber at a certain speed and be able to do that successfully at um, 80 plus percent accuracy as well. So we understand that project re- requires a bit bigger com- uh, partnership and collaboration, and we're in that stage of finding the right partner for that project. So I'm getting a better sense of what you can assist with and what you can't assist with. So the challenges of creating a vision system that can pick a strawberry as well as I did back when I was eight years old, that's a few years off. But getting data to how to, uh, how to, how to properly irrigate your crops, now you've got an AI system thinking about that. And that's obviously going to yield some benefits as well, I would imagine. That, that's that's correct. Uh, like I said, these stepping stones, I mean, these areas of expertise, what we call them areas of expertise. So you, you called it out, you said vision. We're finding that AI is really everywhere. So even when you're doing computer vision or vision training, 
computers and cameras to see the way we see, identify food the way we, so it's, it's, we're teaching them. That process of teaching them uses machine learning, which is sort of under AI. So AI sits in also the vision side. Now when you're, you're also using different system components to make a decision to pick, that still uses some sort of what we call, uh, we call it decision support system. So the decision support system, it's a base of basically artificial intelligence, being able to tap into, you know, the cameras, decision made by the cameras that it's okay to, this is the right fruit, and now you're connecting to the arm or the manipulator, what we call it, to a robot so it can pick or it can point at it or it can send signals back. So AI is a foundation and data. Again, what is AI? AI is nothing without data. Having that data and, and learning from that data and basically uh, that repeat process, and it's really critical. So data is the foundation to a lot of the things that we're doing uh, to make them smarter as well. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the success stories because those make me happy. You alluded to some that are in the works. What are some that um, – tell me about some success stories that you can share in as much detail as possible. So – I think the, I mean, we started talking about um, the roadmaps. Yes. And, and I do want to share that as a success story. Because what that allowed, uh, you know, when you're going through a paradigm shift in an industry where you're trying to move it to more tech and more capabilities that, that is away from traditional, you need a lot of collaboration and you need a lot of stakeholders to work together. And I'm talking from government to supply chain to end users to research. And what the roadmaps have showed us is that it allowed us to all come together and, and look at different ways to help the industry. So the success story there to me is, um, you know, we work with different uh, grow organizations. There was a lot of collaboration, a lot of support. Nobody was holding back from sharing information so we can find better answers for them. Uh, another thing, um, we worked with another organization that you familiar with, Engine, I believe, right? Uh, to now go from the supply chain point of view. How can the supply chain get involved? So now we're not we're just doing roadmaps for the end users. Uh, we're also doing roadmaps for the supply chain and how they can help the end users. What is their roadmap to the end user's roadmap? So finding that bridge between them. And why do I bring that up? You know, one of the biggest challenge when you want to implement new technology is not just that you can create the technology and just sell it to an end user. The biggest challenge is how do you support it? How do you operate it? How do you maintain it? The longevity of it, that investment that you're putting into that kind of tech is you need sort of a, a life cycle plan for it. And what we realize is that that gap can only be filled, even if you're bringing tech from outside Canada, it can only be filled locally because these growers and these farms are local. So the success story is that everybody, that awareness that was created from those roadmaps has created a bigger discussion in different industries so and different stakeholders. So that was one of the, the, in my opinion, one of the greatest awareness success from all that work. One of the first episodes I did was talking about Industry 4.0 adoption in traditional manufacturing, not agriculture. And one of the key things that the, that, uh, the person said, and which you have now echoed, is that you do it in increments. Start small. How did you guys come up with that? How did you come up with the roadmap? So, so that whole, and, and again, the credit goes back to the effort and, I guess, the work that's required to put this together, meaning that from collaboration, from having that ability to be able to talk to more stakeholders, understanding their needs. Uh, one thing about technology development that we're very uh, strong about is that we can develop technology 
in just a lab. We have to work with stakeholders. And the challenge, the problem has to come from the industry. And one of the things that we noticed over the last couple of years that when a lot of tech has been developed around automation, robotics, and horticulture is it's just the go-to-market strategy doesn't take into account what the growers are looking for today. And I've talked to some growers and, I, and I've asked them, are you open to try some technology? And most of them are. But the biggest challenge is that they, they seem to, fa- to realize is that it doesn't address their immediate concerns. It tells them what the, it's going to get them in the, in, in the future. So what we learn is that what do you need now and how to go from this step now to the future? We understand the future could be quite exciting with more autonomous technologies. But right now, they need the ability to, to do something with the technology. They can't invest in something and wait to have an impact in five years. So that's where the stepping stone came is by listening to the needs of the industry. And any innovation or innovative organization should always listen to the end user, should always listen to the users, should listen to that ecosystem. Uh, ecosystem is something that is thrown around, I mean, a lot. Like, what is the ecosystem? And the ecosystem is is the growers, uh, what they want or and how they want to use it and what do they need now and what do they need to do in the future, right? But also, how are you going to deliver it to them? Also, the go-to-market strategy needs to understand that how do you actually take that technology to market and how do you support it? And you hear me talk about that a lot because that's a gap that still exists today. So when we decided to go into stepping sto- a stepping stone approach is we looked at how do we get the work that we're doing uh, f- to the grower sooner than later. We can work on things in the future, but that return on investment um, will be a bigger challenge for our stakeholders as well. When talking about advanced manufacturing, not dealing with agriculture, I've found, and I'm sorry about this pun, there is a big silo mentality. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I had to say <laughs> Whether it's, you know, you've got industry is not necessarily always chatting with government and they're not and government isn't necessarily always chatting with academia and academia isn't always chatting with, you know, the market people, like you say, getting the product to market. Do you find that that is the same thing in your is it as bad as everywhere else in in agriculture? So actually, that's a that's a great point you bring up, uh, because if you look at manufacturing today and where are the technologies that are being manufactured for horticulture, again, auto, automotive, they've been doing this for a long time, yep. right? 100 years. Uh, yeah. And not only um, automation aspect is, is how they actually manufacture in their factories. They use automation in their factories to produce for mass production. So they're quite advanced. Now, there is probably not a lot of uh, manufacturers today or advanced manufacturers in horticulture that can say that they have that mass production capability and can take on any project. So if you look at what every business is going to look at is, and again, no pun intended, the low-hanging fruit, right, from my <laughs> side. So what's the low-hanging fruit as a manufacturer? I mean, it's either going to be automotive or custom low-scale manufacturing. Now you're talking about manufacturing automation solutions or robotics, that is not cheap to manufacture. And if you're not set up to, to do a supply chain and capability to manufacture for, for mass production, you're going to face the same challenges of that. You can't get it to market or it's going to be too expensive. And that's the silo part is that investment needs to go from the entire ecosystem. Just like how, you know, when we were in recession in 2009, government stepped in to help manufacturing for auto, automotive and help the automotive companies. 
uh, there needs to be that investment where to bridge from what we call you know proof of concept prototype ready to delivering it to the to the end user and that gap of testing technology creating the manufacturing value network investing that value network that investment needs to go now so in the next five years the technology becomes readily available and that's where the silo is everybody's focusing on their immediate business needs where would you like to see more investment what what technology do you think is just almost ripe for let's just lean into all the puns now screw it let's just, <laughs> all the puns what is the what's what is the technology that is almost ready to be picked off of the tree to be commercialized so i uh, i recently i just came back from uh, europe i was in the netherlands i spent i went to uh, green tech and uh, amsterdam it's mm-hmm. a, it's a tech show for horticulture it's probably one of the top shows there. And one of the exciting things that I saw is that when I was there, there were Canadian companies that are shown a lot of capability and excitement, and, and it was quite exciting. Uh, but there's probably uh, four times as much companies that were at the show that were European-based uh, that had that capability. So there's a lot more, and that's why the, that tech show in the Netherlands for horticulture and technology, I think it's the most prominent at this stage. What I saw when I was there in, in the spirit of solving some of the biggest challenge in horticulture, which is or or farming, which is picking, harvesting, right? Like I said, the biggest opportunity. There was a lot of uh, mobile carts that are sort of what we call the platform example. What I mean by that is that we think the business case to make sense for growers for robotic inside a, a greenhouse is to do more. If they're going to have a robot going inside a greenhouse like a human being, that robot has to be able to pick, prune, well, something we call de-leaf, cut the leaves, so they can allow for better harvesting efficiency, disinfect, use UV lighting to do that. So I was able to see five companies that actually had a mobile robot or a platform that it's mobile that does one of the tasks. So what that allows in the future, if you look at their roadmap, it means that you can add now a technology like uh, harvesting cucumbers, or you can add harvesting vegetables or something to that platform so you can do more. So you can do more with that platform. So that platform technology is exciting from from our point of view because it allows uh, you know growers that uh, the, the, the business case to make more sense, basically. So that robot exists, that base robot. Yes, yeah, so I was able to see at least five technologies um, in, uh, that had that capability. One of them is Canadian. I was very excited to see that as well. One of them, you know, some of them are the tasks that they do today are a little bit basic, which is okay. Like, for example, using UV lighting to disinfect the greenhouse. Another one was collecting data. So again, data. I mean, the, the basics of doing the other task is to collect the data and know what's inside the greenhouse and do more. So yeah, so uh, it seemed like, and when I speak to a lot of them, they seem to be in prototype phase. So now we go back to the same discussion, prototype phase. How do we go from prototype to something that is basically market ready? And I think that that goes back to the question is, the, the, you know, growers want to see these things sometimes working or tested somewhere. So what we're doing at Vineland is we're thinking about giving them an opportunity where they can come and test their technologies so growers can build trust with that stuff. So that was a quite exciting um, um, thing to see for the future of technology in, uh, in horticulture. Would you say Vineland is in the business of de-risking some of this research, some of this development? I, I think we, we, we can do that with the support of uh, the programs that exist, the grantings that exist, but also 
the first step needs to come from these companies to make that investment, right? So it's, it's a sh- shared collaboration. Uh, Valent cannot do it itself, right? But we have the ability, and I'll tell you the reason why. We have a state-of-the-art state um, you know, research greenhouse where we can do testing, what we call disruptive testing, that you can't do in real customer greenhouses, right? So, for example, if there's a new tech, you can bring it here, you can showcase it and, and show disruptive testing, uh, and you can bring some of these co- potential customers of yours to, or potential customers to come and see that disruptive testing, that it was working, and they can build that confidence. So we have the facilities, uh, the expertise, even our reputation, being Kenna's leader, it, um, you know, we don't endorse any technology, but we can do validation. Uh, so we can validate uh, some of the technologies out there and, and the, the claims that they make and provide uh, an unbiased assessment of what it can do and how it can provide benefit and give them feedback to basically improve it. Or we can help them with improving it as well. So definitely we're, we're well set up to help them uh, go to market. Is that all done here? Yes. So in our, in our, um, in our campus here, we have our um, our. Uh, latest greenhouse. Uh, we also have uh, uh, about, uh, I believe, 300 acres uh, of uh, farm space. Don't quote me if I'm wrong, it's on our website. We also have uh, an automation lab, prototyping lab. We have also um, um, other labs from for the other program areas as well. And um, uh, we have the capability to do everything uh, in-house as well. That's Yeah, that's incredible. Because when I first pulled up, I was like, wow, this is a full-on campus. Like, you've got multiple buildings, and is that greenhouse you're talking about, the greenhouse, the big one I saw? That's correct. That's wow. The, that's, uh, that's the one that was uh, just behind uh, the building we're sitting on in right now. And believe me, uh, when, I, when I came to Valley in 2020, I think one of, my, uh, one of the things that attracted me to the, to the actual uh, job was actually the campus. It's just such a lovely campus, and you see people walking around. It's open. Yeah. Right, there's no gates, right? So anybody can come in in the community, walk around, and and just uh, enjoy uh, the the campus as well. We are rounding the corner on time, Hassam. I want to thank you for your time, for your insights. This has been informative, and um, yeah, I I'm I'm hungry now. <laughs> well, we can go eat if you want. Thank you, Nick. It's good to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Cheers.